hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. John 14, 1 through 11. Today, we gather to proclaim the resurrected Jesus Christ. And what I want to do with you, what I want to explore with you is a promise that Jesus made, a promise in the text that you heard read this morning that is connected directly to the resurrection. It is a promise that rises and falls based upon the resurrection of Jesus. And so what we're going to do this morning, if you, if you want to take notes or just kind of get things ordered in your mind, is, is we're going to look first at the need for the promise or the, the reason for the promise. We're going to look at the promise itself, what the promise actually was, what that promise means, and then finally, the reason why we can believe the promise that Jesus makes. So the need for the promise, the promise, its meaning, and finally, why can we believe it? Why can we believe the promise that Jesus makes? Well, first, let's talk about the reason or, or the need for the promise. A friend of mine recently was having some medical issues, and so uh, he decided he needed to go see a doctor. The doctor said, don't come see me. Go right to the emergency room. So he and his wife went down to the emergency room together. And when they got there, they got checked in, and as is the case, there was a wait. And so they waited, finally got checked in, and they described the symptoms, and uh, the doctor on hand there immediately prescribed a number of tests for him to take. And so uh, over the next few hours, uh, he had the tests done. But then when the tests were done, they put him in um, not one of the emergency rooms, because they were all full, but instead put him in the hallway with a number of other patients who were awaiting their own test results. So he sat there in the hallway for a number of hours next to these other patients. And here's what happened. Over the next couple of hours, doctors and nurses, they would come and they would give their diagnosis and plan of treatment just right there in the hallway with others all around them to the different patients. After a few hours, a doctor came to my friend and said, hello, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Are you so-and-so? And my friend said, yes, I am. And the doctor looked at him and said, would you mind coming with me back to my office? Now, my friend, you know, smart guy that he is, realized everybody else heard their diagnosis and treatment plans just right there in the hallway. Now the doctor's asking me back to his office. He thought, this, this can't be good. And as they were walking, the doctor said, oh, do you have someone that's here with you? Did somebody come with you to the emergency room? And he said, yes, my wife, she's in the waiting room. Oh, she can come back as well, all right? So how do you think he's feeling right now, right? Not, not feeling too great. 
And so they get into the office, and, and the doctor, the phone rings. And the doctor says, oh, excuse me, I have to take this. And he's just like, seriously? He gets off the phone, and the doctor comes up to him, and he puts his hand on my friend's shoulder, and he says, I'm so sorry. My friend's heart just immediately dropped. He's like, this is why. I knew it. This is why I came back here. This is why he wanted my wife with me. This is going to be bad news. And so his heart was just immediately troubled. And so he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, I'm so sorry that you had to wait so long in the hallway. You know, we got all your tests back. Everything's clear. You're going to be fine in a few weeks. There's no problems. (laughs) Read the room, doctor. Get some interpersonal skills here. My friend didn't go in for a heart attack, right? But like he almost had one. He's like, it was the worst, Dave. I mean, the guy handled it just, ah. Oh. And, and so he, he goes into the office anticipating bad news. By God's kindness, he gets some good news. But that's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case that instead of, I'm so sorry you had to wait so long, everything's fine, it's, I'm so sorry. You have cancer. Or you get the news, I'm so sorry, you're going to lose your job. I'm so sorry my relationship with you, it's not going to work out. We're, we're done. Sometimes we get news and we get troubling news. In the text that we heard read this morning, that's the, the context for the promise that Jesus makes. The very first words that Jesus speaks in our text this morning in John 14:1 are the words, let not your hearts be what? Troubled, right? So you're not going to tell somebody to not have their heart be troubled unless you know or you think that they've received information or news that would cause them to be troubled, that would cause them to be upset. And that's exactly what's happening here. While Jesus actually commands them, this is a command, let not your hearts be troubled. The truth is, Jesus has just dropped four bombshells on his disciples that would give them every reason in the world to be troubled. You see, this This um, event takes place in something called the Last Supper. It's the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was arrested that night, tried, and ultimately crucified. And the meal started great. Everything was going wonderful. They had just had the triumphal entry a few days before. The, The disciples are probably on cloud nine. But then, right before our text this morning, Jesus comes to them and he says, one of you is going to betray me over to the authorities. One of you is going to deny me, and then this is all going to result in me leaving you and you not being able to follow right away. You want to know news that would have been troubling to the disciples? Let me just give you why that would have been so troubling. If you were a disciple hearing that, what you heard Jesus say to you is that all you've known all the familiarity and all the security of the last few years is going away. This would be akin to somebody coming to you and saying, you're going to lose your job and you're going to lose your house in the next 24 hours, but don't worry. All right, if somebody came to you and said that, what's the very next thing that you're going to say? Why? Like, what, what could you possibly tell me in light of the news that I've just received that would cause me not to be fearful, not to be worried. This was the the context, the reason for the promise that Jesus makes. 
the disciples' hearts are in fact troubled because the news that Jesus shared is troubling news. Oh, really? One of us is going to deny you. One of us is going to betray you. You're going to go away from us, and we shouldn't be upset or worried. And so Jesus says, look at the text again. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says. Believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's here, right here, that Jesus comes and he makes a promise to his disciples. Now, if you notice, he doesn't come and tell them, don't let your hearts be troubled because things aren't going to be as bad as you think they are. Don't let your hearts be troubled because in actuality, it's not all going to happen like I said it would. Now, Jesus knows that everything that he has said to them is going to happen. He knows that the life of his disciples is about to be turned upside down. The rug's going to be pulled out from underneath them. Everything they know is going to collapse around them. And yet it's in the face of that that Jesus comes and he makes this promise. The promise that he makes them, on the face of it, is so simple. The promise is, you have a place in God's home, and one day I will take you there. This is the promise. You have a place in God's home, and I will take you there. Jesus says, I will take you there one day. This is the promise that he makes. Think about it, church. Out of everything that Jesus could have said, the thing that he believes and knows the hearts of his disciples need to not be troubled is this promise. He could have said a lot of things, but he said this. Now, if we're really being honest with ourselves... Even if we've like grown up in the church, have been around it and heard this passage before, this promise of a future home with God, like it sounds nice, but come on. Like is it, is it really that great of a promise? And I think we hear this and there's a familiarity with this promise and what we fail to see is what I'm about to show you is that yes, out of all that Jesus could have promised them, this promise is the one that not only their hearts needed, but it's the promise that every single troubled heart, every single troubled soul needs even today. That this is a promise that transcends time. It's, it's not something that just is going to minister to the disciples and say that was nice for them. But I'm telling you, if you get this promise, if you understand this promise, it brings help and in hope to your heart and to my heart as well. What I want to show you is that this isn't just a promise of Jesus that one day your physical address is going to change. You're not just going to up the square footage of the home, right? It's something far greater than that. You see, here's what the promise means. The promise means first and foremost this. It means that one day you and I will be forgiven, made holy, and made righteous. 
See, the disciples understood that there was something greater about this promise than simply Jesus is going to God's house and one day you will go there to be with him. See, what they knew was that smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem was a representation of God's house. Did you know that? Like they understood the idea of God's home because smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem was the temple. I want you to take a look at this. This is a representation of it. Like if you lived in Jerusalem, this was a building that you couldn't miss. All right, just like when you drive down into Escondido, no matter where you're at, you pretty much see Palomar Hospital, right? Like it's always there. Like the temple, which was a representation, an earthly representation that God called his people to make of his home was smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem. And everybody knew that the temple was to represent the place where God dwelt. But you know there was something unique about the temple? It's that in the most holy place, the inner place where God's spirit was said to reside, his presence with his people, not just anyone could go in it. In fact, although this was considered God's house here on earth, guess what? Almost 100% of the Jewish people were never allowed to go into it. You see, the place where God was said to dwell was the most holy, and only one person could go into it, and only he, the great high priest, could go into it once a year. And in order to do that, he would have to go through this ceremonial purification process so that he would represent the holiness that was necessary to enter the presence of God. So when Jesus comes and he says to his disciples, you have a place in God's heavenly home and one day I will take you there. He's not just promising a change of physical address. He is saying, I will make you righteous and holy. Because the only people who can dwell with God, the only people who can be in his presence are those who are holy and righteous. What they knew, but we often miss when we hear this promise, is that Jesus is saying I am going to do something in your life. I'm going to take the guilt and the shame for all the ways that you have failed to live up to the God's standard, to God's holiness, and I am going to do something to you that will allow you to be in the presence of God. Because if you're not holy, if you're not righteous, you cannot dwell in God's house. Do, do you see how big of a promise this is? He's promising to God's people a spiritual transformation. He's promising to forgive sins. He's promising to take unrighteous people and make them righteous. This kind of transformation is so spectacular, there's really nothing in all of our creation that could ever compare to it. The only thing that I've ever thought even gets close to what Jesus is saying will happen to you and me is a caterpillar going to a butterfly. <laughs> if you'd looked at a caterpillar, if a caterpillar could speak, they can't unless it's, you know, some cartoon. If a caterpillar could speak and you said, hey, one day you're going to be able to have wings and soar wherever you want to go, all the caterpillar knows is crawling on its belly on the ground. That's the best it's going to get. I'm telling you, Jesus said to his disciples on that day, if I can go and prepare a place for you and take you into God's home, I'm promising you all your sins will be forgiven. I'm promising you that you will be made righteous. Some of you here today, some of you here today know because of the things that you've done, guilt and shame and condemnation if the promise of Jesus is true, if he can go to the Father, prepare a place for you, and come back and take you there, what he is saying is, 
I can make you forgiven. I can make you righteous. I can make you holy. All your guilt, all your shame will be taken away because God only dwells in perfect holiness and righteousness. And then because that is true, this promise means something else. You see, if, if God's home is a place where sin doesn't reside and where sinners can't reside, there is something in our world, actually many things, that are a direct consequence of sin. All sickness, all disease, all abuse, all oppression, all injustice are a direct result of sin in the world and sinful actions by us. So are you, are you tracking with me? If those things are a consequence of sin and there is no sin in God's house, then here's what the promise of home with God means. It means one day all your suffering will cease. No more pain, no more suffering because that doesn't exist in God's house because in God's house there is no sin. There's only righteousness and holiness. And the beauty of this promise and what it means for people is this. One day, no matter how bad things get, one day all of that will cease. There will be no more pain. There will be no more disease. There will be no more broken bones and pneumonia. There, all of that will be gone because it's a consequence of sin. You see, we do with God's world what I did with my older brother's toys. I'm going to admit it here. He's here today. I'll ask for forgiveness. We do with God's world what I did with my older brother's toys. We use it the wrong way and we break it. We break it. That's what sin is. It's God coming and designing the world perfect and how it's to work and how it's to function. And then we said, no, we think it should be used this way. This is how things should go. Everyone has gone his own way. But guess what? Jesus says, if I'm going to go away and take you to myself, if there's a place for you in God's home, then everything that you've broken, all those things that have gone wrong, and all the suffering that it's created, it will cease. I don't know about you, but I would look forward to that. The peace of that, the joy of that, the rest in that. But then there's even more to what the promise means. It's not just that you will be holy and righteous, like we could stop there and that should be enough to say this promise is amazing and so comforting and gives me hope. It would be enough just to say all your suffering will cease one day, but it's even more than that. Look at what verse 3 says. Jesus comes, and this is the one explicit part of the promise and what it means that he makes clear. In verse 3 he says, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, look at it, where I am, there you may be what? Also. What is Jesus saying here? What is he telling us this promise means? It means that Jesus will be with us in God's home. And what that means is the lonely will never be lonely again. You will have a home forever. It's not just that suffering will cease, but it's that you will never be alone. And unless you've ever experienced loneliness, you don't know how big of a deal this is. Loneliness. My daughters and others had gone on a trip to Tonto Basin, a missions trip this past week. They visited with those in the Tonto Basin community. 
There was one man in particular that they visited with who knew, who knew and knows loneliness. He's estranged from his family outside of his dogs and one other couple. Very few people ever visit him, ever see him. And do you know what he feels because of that? Lonely. Depression. Is my life worth it? When those kids came to his house and talked with him and listened to him and hugged on him, he said, this was the greatest day of my life. Loneliness. To feel alone. There's a hotel in Belgium that understands how, how much loneliness affects us. What they've done is they rent out goldfish for people staying in their hotels. And their reason for doing so is just so that they say travelers can have another living thing in their rooms with them. They've said, we have found it successful. The fish are always being rented out. And God says, do you realize you'll never be lonely again? The disciples were about to experience loneliness. Jesus was going to go away from them. He wasn't going to be with them. His presence wasn't going to be there. And he says, don't worry. A day is coming when I will be with you forever. But if you get the presence of Jesus for eternity, do you know what else that means? It means you'll never lack for anything in God's house. You'll never lack for anything in God's home. Do you know why? Because the person who's always with you is the maker of heaven and earth. He always provides. You will never be lacking because you will be with him. Everything you need for security, you will have. You'll never have to fear anything happening to you, not just because somebody else is with you, but because the one who is with you has all the power and all the authority. This is not a small thing for Jesus to say, there is a home for you in God's house, a place for you in God's house, and I can take you there. Are you beginning to capture the magnitude of this promise? It's why he knew, if I say this to my disciples, this is what they need to hear. They need to hear that one day their sins will be forgiven. One day their suffering will cease. They need to hear that I will be with them, and me being with them means all the security, all the provision. If you're here today and you can hear the words that I'm speaking, when Jesus says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. This is a promise that says if you lack security in the present, it won't be like that forever. If you're worried about provision now, one day every need will be met and provided for. If you're alone now, you won't be alone forever. If you feel like you don't belong, you are going to be a part of God's family. Grasp this, friends. Know that this is what Jesus is saying. And, and if you wonder, was this really a comfort to those first disciples? Like, did this give them help and hope? We see in their later writings words like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name, Peter who experienced all this according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Paul, who had experienced tremendous suffering, would say in 2 Corinthians 4, for this light and momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Peter gets this. Paul gets this. Paul would write again to the church in Corinth in the next chapter, for we know, Paul says, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This was a help and it was a hope for them because this promise of Jesus ultimately mean that death, it wasn't the end. It would only be the beginning. Death would not be the end for them, but it would be the beginning. When Jesus said that he would offer eternal life, death is not the end. It's an entrance into, it's the doorway into the eternal life that he is promising. And we know that this is what it means because our God is eternal. And so if you're going to live in God's home, not only do you have to be righteous and holy, to be in his presence, you too must enter into that eternal life. People are scared to death of death. Jesus says, why? Why would you have to be? <laughs> because, because what's going to happen is, you, you get this, right? You're going to leave here and you're going to experience all this with, with me. And everything, Paul says, in, that we have here in comparison to there, man, it can't hold a candle. Friends, this is what Jesus is promising. We should want this promise to be true. But it does beg the question, this seems so outstanding, why should we actually believe what Jesus has to say? Listen, if some of you are feeling that way today, like, look, that's a fair question to ask. Don't feel bad. Like, if you're thinking, it's like, great, I like the promise, I understand why he gave it, but why should I believe Jesus on this how do I know that he can deliver? In 2003, there was a young woman who decided that she had an idea that would change the medical industry. It was a spectacular idea. It was going to turn medicine on its head. She said, I have the idea for a device that can take one drop of your blood, and one drop of your blood, I can run dozens, even hundreds of tests. So instead of getting poked and prodded and big blood draws, you don't have to do that. We're going to create a device the woman's name was Elizabeth Holmes, and the company she went on to found was Theranos. And at one point, Elizabeth Holmes' company, Theranos, was valued at $9 billion because people thought, this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. She herself became the youngest female self-made billionaire. But there was a problem with Elizabeth Holmes. You see, as she built up her company, she made promises she made lots of promises. Promises to her investors about contracts that they had. Promises about how far along the machine was in its development. Promises about how many tests they were able to run. The problem, though, with Elizabeth Holmes and Theramos is that she had nothing but, guess what? Empty promises. And today, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos are known for one thing, investor fraud. And the people who invested in her lost hundreds of millions of dollars. She made an empty promise and it devastated lives. Jesus makes a promise a billion times greater than any promise Elizabeth Holmes could make. So why should you believe him? In fact, his disciples asked that very question on that day. Look down at verse eight. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Like, all right, give us a revelation of God the Father right now and we'll be good to go. We'll believe you. That's what Philip is saying. And Jesus looks at Philip and he says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, and who can say, show us the Father? Do you not know that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Don't, don't you believe that I can deliver on what I've said here? And then Jesus comes and he says, fine. Believe me that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else what? Believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says, you want to know if my promise is empty or true? Look at my works. And up to that point, he had risen Lazarus from the dead. He had fed the 5,000. He had calmed the storms. Jesus says, I think I have enough credentials to show you that I can fulfill my promise. But if we're really being honest, Jesus, you're saying that you can go to God and come back for us. I've not seen anybody do that. And so I believe the reason why Jesus on that day said, look at my works is because he knew a greater work was coming. He knew that he was going to do one work, one work that was going to prove once and for all that he could deliver on this promise, and it was not empty. And the work that Jesus Christ did is what we celebrate today. Jesus died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. He went to the Father, and he came back. He rose from the dead to show that he had the victory over sin and death and hell. He says, you want to believe that I can deliver on this promise? I have risen from the dead. Amen? This is why the promise of Jesus that your sins can be forgiven, that your suffering will cease, that you'll have a forever home, you'll be holy and righteous while you can believe it because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if you're someone who comes and says, can we really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? I don't have time this morning, but I would invite you Explore the evidence. Explore the evidence. One of the most profound things that shows us that the disciples believed Jesus was who he said he was, was that they gave their lives to die to proclaim that he had risen from the dead, and you don't die for a lie. Christ the Lord is risen today, and so you and I can believe his promise is true. But now I got to say, in closing, the most difficult thing that I have to say this morning. An eternal home awaits everyone here. There is an eternal home with God that Jesus can bring you to, but not everybody's going to go to that home. And the reason why is because Jesus says there's a condition to experiencing that eternal home. It was right there in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe God. Believe also in me. In fact, Thomas would come earlier in the text, and he would say, Lord, we do not know the way to where you are going. How can we know the way? He heard the promise. He said, I want to experience the promise. And Jesus said, okay, here's the deal. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? What? but through me. You have to believe in him. 
You have to believe that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Jesus makes two things abundantly clear. You do not get to the Father by what you do because who's the only one who brings you to the Father? What's his name? What's his name? Jesus. Good, you were listening. You don't get to the Father through what you do. You only get to the Father through Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. If you try and find your own way, you're gonna be like a young man in China who recently was arrested because every morning on his commute to work, the traffic would back up at one light. And one day he got so tired of it, he brought a spray can with him and he always noticed this one turn lane. No one ever used it. So he repainted the lane to make it go straight and not turn. (laughs) I'm dead serious. Look it up. He got arrested and fined because that young man tried to make his own way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want your heart not to be troubled. You want hope and help. You must look to Jesus. He is the only way. And so if you're visiting with us and you you resonate with any of this, You recognize how truly alone you are. You know guilt and you know shame for sin. You know suffering and you know that there's nothing that you can do about it. Jesus says, believe in me. I love that a good friend of mine says that to ultimately experience the life that Jesus is offering here, a home with God is as easy as A, B, C. The first thing you have to do is you have to admit to God that you're a sinner. You have to believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And then you have to confess him as Savior and Lord. You want that eternal home. You want to know the presence of God. You want to know what this promise fully means. This is how it is experienced. In and through Jesus, there's no other way. Would you do that this morning? Would you at least consider my words? And then if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, is your heart troubled? Jesus said it to his disciples, and so he says to you today, let not your hearts be troubled. Why today can our hearts not be troubled? It's because this promise of Jesus, it carries us not just in this life, but into the life to come. Today, church, in Christ, because he's resurrected from the dead, your sins are forgiven. Your suffering will cease. You will have a forever home with Jesus, your Savior, and your Lord. Praise him for that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, sometimes we hear your word and we skip past or we don't reflect deeply enough upon what you're actually speaking to us and what it means. But Lord, today you've shown us in your word the depths and the majesty of the promise that Jesus made. And not just the depth and the majesty of it, but his ability to do what he said he could do. Lord, we rejoice in that today. We, we take great hope and help in that today. And so, Lord, my prayer is this. Would you open hearts to receive and to believe in Christ as the way, the truth, and the life? Lord, help us not to paint our own arrows, try to make our own way. And for any of you that are here today, would you consider right now, as I am praying, would you consider doing just what God would call you to? Admit today. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have tried to make my own way. 
Would you acknowledge that you've done what I did with my brother's toys? And would you say, I took the good things that you made and I've broken them. I failed to walk according to you. I know I'm a sinner, but Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb who came to save me, who did what I could not do. And Lord, I confess to you today that I trust in Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Would you pray that? Would you, would you make that confession today? And then, Lord, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, would you comfort our hearts? May these truths never be so far from us that no matter what comes today, tomorrow, next week, that, Lord, we can believe our hearts need not be troubled. All we have to do is believe the promise that you have made and what it means so that we would find our help and our hope. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.